Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. I'm Allison Sullivan, and this is a podcast about sometimes saving the world and sometimes just surviving in it. In the next hour or so, we will nurture our friendships, explore our joy, shake our fists, all while trying to serve our God, and most likely, all while wearing pajamas. I hope you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. I used to be in a beautiful Bible study. The women it included were divinely jigsawed and together we made up something bigger than just ourselves. Something very beautiful indeed. Together we made a body. It was a beautiful body. And our body laughed too loud and talked too much and sometimes she said nothing at all. Sometimes she grieved and sometimes she celebrated. Sometimes she gave and sometimes she took. Sometimes she was full of glorious wisdom and sometimes she searched with her best intentions. Sometimes she was far too much, and sometimes she was not near enough, but always her work was joy. Or at least we were trying. All of our parts, we were trying. To come together and to teach each other joy. Together we lamented the demands of our culture. We wrestled with the best ways to serve our God, our families, our neighbors, and ourselves all at the same time. We complained about our motherly duties. We were cynical about how perfectly nice people could be so irritating on Facebook. We wondered if our kids' sports schedules should really be causing this much strife. Competitive friends, exhausting extended family, non-believing loved ones, hateful thoughts, busy schedules, and impure hearts. And those things were all on the lighter days. On the darker days, because there are those two, we grieved insensitive husbands, marriages that probably wouldn't make it. Terminally ill siblings and parents, their pain and the pain that sickness was leaving in their wake lost children, and not just for the time being, but gone altogether, nothing for us to do but to try to pick up the pieces. But how do you pick up the pieces when there is simply nothing but dust? You didn't have to listen to us long to know that we did not think our lives were easy. We had been talking about Philippians, and we couldn't help but notice that Paul seemed a little obsessed with the joy part. So we pushed through all of our groaning and insisting on that joy part the way we think he would want us to, albeit with some gritted teeth and a few white knuckles. Joy. One week, during our time together, after a pretty intense griping session, we committed to doing one thing differently that might help us find a little more peace, a little less strife. But on my way home, I had the thought that strife might just be okay I was in the parking lot with only my infant in the car, the big kids at school, which meant that what I wanted to listen to was playing on the radio, and I was holding my hands high to some powerful music because being at Bible study with women who get me and say me too really make me grateful to God. Both hands were high at a red light, and I was singing at the top of my lungs. My car often gets the truest versions of myself, both the good and the bad. It's where I'm most likely to give my most honest praise and where I'm most likely to cuss someone out. Presumably both because no one's looking. Regardless, in this instance, I was praising him with my most sincere heart when I heard myself sing the lyric, All I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. And I thought, yes, that's right. A life with less strife is not only not going to happen, but... It's not supposed to happen. We should be feeling greatly uncomfortable. I think it's a sign that things are going well. We were designed to enjoy a more perfect world than this one. We were designed for more. So instead of wondering what I'm getting wrong because I'm not sailing as effortlessly as those around me seem to be, I will embrace that I am someone who has never been very good at denial, but is someone who is deeply in love with the Lord, and seeks heavenly things, not of this world. And because of all of those things, I am someone who will, I suppose, just continue to groan about the things that are not mine yet, even though groaning is what everyone seems to be trying to desperately escape. I read that an aching soul is evidence not of neurosis or spiritual immaturity, but instead of realism. Heaven is not here. We are not there. 
And because of that, we either groan or pretend we don't. So perhaps the answer isn't in more discipline. Isn't that how we're often coached? More godly things to do to get us back on track and air quote, fix us. More knowledge, more journaling, more generous giving, a new devotional. But maybe there isn't an answer to all of this groaning, not until we're truly home. Maybe the answer isn't about finding relief now. Paul certainly understood this. And I realize there's something relieving about everything having a tidy answer. There's something soothing about always knowing exactly what to do to make things better. Knowing how to correct something implies that we have control over it, but what if there is no correcting? Is it terrifying to stare at a problem that doesn't have a solution? Yes. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe I'm not home yet. Paul. That Paul. He can be irritating at times. When you're stressed out about one kid's soccer practice and another's cold and the other one's nap and how to juggle all three without a temper tantrum and Paul is chained to a guard on a dirty prison floor preaching about joy, it's just a little much, Paul. But despite his perfect perspective and how annoying that might be, he does seem to have cornered the market on knowing what's important, what will last, what won't, and knowing how to find joy whether in plenty or in want. He has learned that groaning just connects us to God. It is a sign that we are being trained, and it is so very temporal. So until we are home, perhaps the only answer is not only trusting God to forgive our sins and help keep us between the ditches and on the right path, not just those things, but maybe it is also believing that God is big enough to deal with things as we are truly experiencing them. Perhaps the answer is having confidence in a powerful God who doesn't force us into pretending that our worlds are problem-free and nothing a little more prayer couldn't fix. Perhaps the answer is believing that Christ is enough to deal with the problems inside our souls and then relinquishing all that too. Perhaps the answer is having confidence that Christ can handle all of that stuff too. Because he knows, just as well as our longings imply, that heaven is not here and we are not there. Is it possible that this is joy? Is joy believing that God specializes in more than just forgiveness? Is joy acknowledging an emptiness we simply cannot fill, will not fill, not yet, and then turning it over to him? Is joy entering into pain? instead of pretending we can fix our pain with our godly to-do lists? Is joy admitting that because we aren't home yet, we are 100% helpless? Is joy learning how to invite God right there where we are helpless? Making sense of our earthly trials, our sufferings, it isn't skimming the surface. It isn't ignoring our wants. It isn't covering up our aches. It isn't insistent on finding total peace right here, right now. Making sense of our suffering. It is in admitting that we are deeply bothered by what's going on around us. It's looking honestly at our struggles and it's inviting God there where we are still troubled, but connected to him in the truest of ways. From the book of 1 Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. This is my friend Heidi. We've been friends for four years. Heidi faithfully pours out her gifts, putting herself into service. She uses her strength to strengthen others. And she is very, very tall. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that we made this day work. We are sitting on the floor of my living room and we were just reliving. um, Well, first of all, let me say that you were on last season. Yes. You were episode 10, I believe, maybe 11, but um, Becoming Catholic. And um, I mentioned how 
as I was kind of newly getting comfortable in this church, I was looking to you as um, really a role model of uh, somebody who was doing it well in a way that um, was attractive to me. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, I kind of sought you out, <laughs> have forced you to be my friend. <laughs> uh, I'm here of my own free will now. <laughs> Lots of strong army. Um, but we were just reliving kind of a shared pain that we had. I didn't know it was a shared pain at the time. And I don't, I can't remember the specifics, but the end result was me talking to you in the fives of the AMs yes. and um, pacing around outside in the middle of some low level trauma. Yes. And um, there was something about me that craved you in that moment. And, um, So it's no coincidence that you're here to talk about trauma and suffering and maybe even some healing, but um, you just come alongside pain so well. So tell us a little bit about your job as a chaplain and what your days look like as you're accompanying people. Yeah. So right now I actually work for a hospice company and for the hospital. So I work as a bereavement coordinator for hospice, which means I'm accompanying patients and families with any grieving Mm -hmm. that's happening. And a lot of that is anticipatory grieving, which starts, you know, when you have a terminal illness or anytime you know you're going to lose something. Uh, Important to note that grief isn't relegated to just life and death. Mm -hmm. You know, we can grieve lots of things in life. Um, And so I accompany whoever's open to being accompanied. And that's really the key ingredient. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things of that job is that I find I have to negotiate that, uh, which is interesting um, because some people are open to it and some people aren't. And right. so the people- I was just who, thinking, who doesn't need accompanied? <laughs> but, but some people are, are more closed or it takes a lot of, um, it feels very vulnerable to meet with a new person, sure. especially when you're in a very hurting place. Mm-hmm. And so you either have to be- kind of generally that way in your nature, Mm -hmm. like open to others. Mm -hmm. And so that doesn't feel quite so threatening or at the very bottom and desperate and maybe sometimes in between. But uh, sometimes the negotiating is interesting, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, as if someone were to say, hey, you don't know me, but I'd love to come and support you, you know, in your life. Mm -hmm. um, You might say, "Okay, well, I'll take your number. And, you know, if that need comes up, I'll let you know. Well, I'm kind of doing everything I can to just get from one day to the next. I don't have a lot of extra energy to develop a new relationship. Right. (laughs) It does take it does take energy. Right. Um, So that's they probably are underestimating your gifts that it probably doesn't require that much of them. You probably do the heavy lifting in the partnership, but that's hard to see at the time. You I would wouldn't imagine. know that. Yeah. yeah at first glance. Yeah. So, and it is just one more thing, especially if you're caregiving for someone who is very sick or dying. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. one more thing is one more thing. You, sure. know, you hear discussions like that about prayer or all of these things that really are essential to mm-hmm. living well in the world, but mm-hmm. we consider them one more thing. Yeah. Uh, when we're so overburdened by what already is. So, so I get it. And then my other job is as a chaplain with, um, the hospital. And as such, I visit patients in the rural hospital. And then in the nursing home, I visit the residents who live there. Mm -hmm. Um, most of them until they die. Well, you were such a compassionate um, place to land that morning when we ended up on the phone with one another, which I can't even remember how. I think I sent an SOS text and you just called me and we didn't even know that you were going to offer me a me too, mm-hmm. but you ended up being in the middle of the same thing yeah. and, and the Lord just really ordained um, our conversation. So the truth of the matter is that so many people around us are in serious and ongoing pain. Yes. Um, And I feel like, you know, there's, um, this is a huge thing for people who don't believe, who can't believe, who don't believe to hang their hat on. Like, how can you believe in a God when bad things happen to good people? Right. You know? And so I feel like this issue alone, pain becomes a huge stumbling block, um, for the case for Christ. Right. What do you have to say about that. I agree. And some of the people closest to me in my life, um, this is, this is a big part of the puzzle to, um, not believe or to, uh, you know, certainly question the goodness of God. Uh, you don't have to look very far or very long Mm. to decide that if God exists, he's not good. Um, so 
but I, it, I really, it does come down to the value of suffering. Okay. Mm-hmm. Either, either suffering is bad mm-hmm. or if we're willing to give, look at suffering with an open mind, if that's even possible. And if God brings good, like we know scripture says, you know, um, Romans eight twenty eight, you know, um, that, and, and because we know that Christ redeemed the world through his suffering, that, and if you read the lives of the saints, suffering becomes this spiritual gold. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is that means with which we can purchase so much that is good for our soul and the souls of others. Mm-hmm. And so it's an economy of sorts. Mm-hmm. And so, but that's difficult to see. And we see um, a God who allows us to go through things which we would never choose for ourselves. And so we question whether he really has our best interest in heart. Mm-hmm. However, if God is primarily interested in our comfort, we would all walk ourselves straight to hell. Mm. Very mm. comfortably mm. the whole way. Mm-hmm. And he's just too merciful for that. He's too merciful to let us put our hope in these things that just won't last. And that aren't really aren't going to do the trick. It's just not what's going to fulfill you. And so to allow us to allow those things to be taken away and taken away and taken away so that the only thing sometimes we have left is this utter dependence. And now this is where... This is um, when we can grow. True we're joy empty, happens. We're, we're empty-handed and right. we have nowhere to go. Right. And the only place to do, the only place to look is to look up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, fe- I feel like in a lot of ways, you know, the misconception is that once we get our life straight, once we fix the errors of our ways, and once, you know, we surrender our lives to Jesus, then all of the things from that point on are effortless. And I think that, you know, it, it comes down to, to two misconceptions. One of them, and this is just my lay opinion. But, um, the first one is that I think that our culture, you mentioned this earlier, but we believe in a value system that says that um, easy equals good right? and hard equals bad. right? And we just know that that's not a value system. Um, in the kingdom. And then, and then number two, I think that we only seem to hear from Christians who are um, living life right or who have already gained the lesson mm-hmm. um, from the hurt. Um, and so even if a Christian is going through something, you know, earth shattering or whatever, I don't know about you and your circles, but what I see is somebody who's relying perfectly on the Lord yeah. and telling me how to do it. And so, um, you know, I might see somebody writing perfectly and beautifully about intimacy and those things are good. Those, those things are true. Um, but unless I'm sitting alongside it, unless I'm sitting alongside suffering or pain, I don't hear much about doubt. I don't hear much about a fierce anger, mm. you know, and I think it's criminally undiscussed, you yeah. know? Um, so I guess what I'm saying is that in this Christian life, we have so many things modeled for us, but I don't see despair modeled for us um, very often. Mm. What say you? The word despair evokes uh, something in me, and I think it's because of something that I read, and it said despair is a sin against hope. Mm. And so mm. yeah. knowing, feeling despairing, and yet I th- there's, no, there's no sinfulness in the feeling, but to finally give up hope mm. that God can enter into or redeem or comfort, Mm -hmm. you know, to, you know, we read in, I think it's Thessalonians. It says, you know, God's suffering and God's and comfort always come together. So I think once we, Oh, hold on, hold on. Suffering and comfort always go together. Yes. Mm. And I'm going to, that's really good. I don't want to get you off track. No, that's fine. That needed highlighting. That's really beautiful. So second Corinthians chapter one, verse five, for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. Is it wrong to say that I like the way you said it better? No. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I don't know. I don't think I'm the person to ask, (laughs) But, but isn't that a great comfort? And so, so I think to feel 
like this is never going to get better. And we know how tricky feelings can be, right? They trick us into thinking everything is permanent. Mm. You've always felt this way. You will always feel this way. Yes. It's always been this way. Yes. You know, and I mean, we go through these. There, oh, there's another great quote. And that's going to say, it says, uh, feeling um, George McDonald. Do you know it? No. You're nodding. No I know way. because I just love when you start. <laughs> so I think it was George McDonald. And he said, when a feeling was there, they felt as if it would never leave. When it was gone, they felt as if it had never been. And when it returned, they felt as if it had never gone. That's that's how tricky feelings are. What is wrong with us? <laughs> and we, I mean, they because they're so powerful. We think yes. they're true. And really our feelings, I heard this this weekend, and it, this is so wonderful. Our feelings are um, good servants, but they're terrible masters. Yes. <sighs> yes. Amen. Agreed. Mm-hmm. So back to despair and, and is it a real thing? And as Christians, can we experience that? And without fear of being judged or condemned, can you be mm-hmm. a faithful person who is despairing? Mm-hmm. By definition, I think despair means that you've lost all hope. Mm-hmm. I think as Christians, we have to cling to it. You have to know and God so you is can good. Feel, you can feel any number of ways, mm-hmm. but in the end, the will has the final say and says, I'm going to cling even though I can't see anything and I can't feel anything. And I'm really beginning to doubt. I'm going to cling to what I believe is true, which yeah. is that God is advocating for me yes. and he's here with me and against every visible sign and palpable feeling. Yeah. I'm going to cling to that. Mm-hmm. It's like when things are confusing, we have to lean into the parts of his character that we know for sure. Yeah. And and ultimately, I think it comes down to, do you believe he's good? Right. And, and, and we just simply have to believe he's good. We have to rely on the word. We have to re-wallpaper our minds with the things of his character that are, are not confusing. My circumstances are so confusing right now, right. but this isn't. He's good. Right. Mm. And I think we need to be humbled and a lot, a mm-hmm. lot, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we think, well, I've done everything right. Why could this happen to me? Okay. And I'm certain that somebody is going to have to say this back to me at some point when I am grieving. <laughs> I mean, it's so easy to be confident about yeah. what you think about sure. grief sure. or, um, but you know, like thinking about God speaking to Job, you know, where were you when I laid the foundation yeah. of the world? Yeah. Yeah. Did you give the horses might? You know, where does the light scatter uh, from where? And man, that makes me feel so small. It's getting really to a low place, isn't it? Yeah. And a I, needy place. And that's our place. And that's our place. Yes. Oh. Um, and you know, not to mention, Jesus certainly did not have um, smooth, straight paths to sprint down. Um, and he's the king of the world. He's our savior. And his paths were rocky and uphill. Um, so why would we assume this cushy journey for ourselves when the the king of the earth had a really hard time? He yeah. wept. We know that he lived a life of suffering. Yes. Um, so as sons and daughters, as um, people who are cherished and and infinitely loved and passionately pursued, not only um, do we live in this place that is separated from him, but, you know, we're told in Second Corinthians, our bodies are wasting away. Yes. <laughs> and it, it's not, you know, it, exactly good news. We have, we have earthquakes, we have tornadoes, we have, you know, all of these things that God frankly never intended. And our bodies are wasted away. You know, the Bible talks often about this groaning Um, so I guess my question to you is how, what are some to do's, you know, how do we fix our eyes on the things that we can't see? Hmm. Well, a lot of people have seen what we can't see. You know, a lot of people you hear about near death experiences and you read them and you can question them and the details and did that really happen? And was it an oxic brain activity? And, but a lot of people have seen mm-hmm. that which we are told we can look forward to. Mm-hmm. There's stories 
the details are different, but a lot of the details are the same. Mm. And you hear about the music and mm. the colors. Mm. And and I've talked to these people mm. and their confidence, even if you go, okay, well, maybe you didn't really see Jesus's sandal or his beard or you, you know, I mean, their confidence about what they've seen and their total lack of fear about dying. Yeah. I mean, you can't mistake the fact that they've experienced yes. something beyond. And so when you look around and, you know, we don't think about heaven near enough, but there are people who have been there. They've written books, some very smart people who didn't believe in God and then have an experience like this. There's wow. one about the brain surgeon. Right. Um, very compelling because he studied this sort of thing. And could it be that your body, your brain just lacked oxygen? Well, he knew that because of what was happening to him, that he could not have had any brain activity. And he was being measured, you know, and, and the entire time by all scientific reason, what he experienced was impossible. And he wrote a very extensive book on, mm -hmm. on his experience. And so people have been there. Mm -hmm. I think, I think sometimes we need to hear things in a new way to be reconvicted about the fact that heaven is a real thing. I love that. Yeah. And it has details. Yeah. Sometimes because we can, we can hear Romans eight, you know, uh, um, I actually have it written down here. Um, but it's for, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth, um, comparing are not worth. Oh, sorry. I wrote that twice. I'm going to start over. Okay. Romans eight, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. It's like, I can, I can read that in the word and I can meditate on that, but how nice to build that, you know, whether it's through relationship like you're doing or, um, you know, picking up a, a personal testimony. Yes. And they're out there. And so if you're open to learning and you don't have to say, I have to count this all as fact mm -hmm. to be a faithful person. You can mm -hmm. say, what, what was this person's experience? Mm -hmm. If you're wanting to go somewhere, it makes a lot of sense to read about people who have been there, yeah. you know? And so that, and, and then, <laughs> you know, great. really, I mean, the mystics are always an inspiration to me, not only about what is heaven like, but about how things are ordered in this world and how they come to pray to love suffering. Mm -hmm. And in fact, love it and, and feel poorly when they're not suffering because they don't feel like they're loving God enough. Mm -hmm. And so always moving toward the perspective to bring a heavenly perspective to earth. Mm -hmm. And my, you know, as I've, um, walked with my best friend as she was losing her mother at a young age. And then, um, you know, she, she would mention this, this thin veil is what people yes. call it. We didn't have those, those words at the time yes. we were, you know, we were 20, but, um, but she was talking about how she felt God so near during that time. She felt like she could reach through and just, and just poke yeah. the Lord. Um, and she actually will look, and this was the time that she was really ushering her mother into death. Um, she was doing all of the caretaking and she actually passed away right next to her mm. in bed. Mm. And, um, my best friend could feel her mother's breathing change. Wow. And she was there to say, don't be afraid and to pray with her. And it was, um, a deeply beautiful moment. And, um, in, in addition to that, she can look back now on that whole phase of her life that it was a year that she had moved home and she can look back at that year and actually long for it. Mm. The most painful time in her life, but she can actually long for that nearness of God. Wow. Isn't that a beautiful thing? So beautiful. Mm -hmm. And, and you can hear that in the stories of people mm -hmm. and, and big sufferings are sometimes easier to face than the small ones, the mm -hmm. daily ones, mm -hmm. you know, feeling unloved or not considered or mm -hmm. left out. Uh, but the big ones, we, we often can feel God's presence much more easily there. So one of the, the things that I wanted to talk to you about, I got a phone call from you one day and I quickly answered and you, <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> <laughs> instead of staring at my phone and going, I don't use my phone for this. <laughs> I'm an introvert. Um, but you were there with a friend of yours who has ALS. Oh, right. Yes. Yes. And you accompany him in some really, um, I was going to use the word invasive, but there's a better word for this. <laughs> could be, could be, might be his word. <laughs> 
Um, but just in a very near, near way. I mean, y'all are really doing life together and y'all's relationship is just precious. And you had a question for me about publishing and book writing. And yes. Something like that, because y'all are writing together. And I feel like you have a really special perspective, not on, um, you know, suffering that gets better. Right. But suffering that gets worse. Um, because, you know, we're here to talk about the hard stuff today. Mm-hmm. But... Um, Sometimes healing doesn't happen. Right. Sometimes the answer is a no. Right. Um, and so what then? Yeah. What then? Uh, they are my teachers, you know, my friend with ALS. And I just, I had another lady who has terminal cancer. And this is like her third time it's come back and she's got pneumonia for the first time in her life. Mm. So when you get older, you think, you know, well, I've experienced everything. Well, there's always another adventure just right around the corner sometimes. But uh, both in both of their cases, they are able to sit in that chair or lay in that bed and say, I don't know, and I can live with that. Hmm. I don't know why me. Um, I don't need to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it doesn't get better, and same thing in the face of dying and in the face of suffering, you pay attention to people and the moments count and you don't live in the naivety that you get an infinite number of chances and we'll get it just next time around so your life becomes so rich Mm -hmm. and you find your comfort in things that last Mm -hmm. and not things that are fading away like your body and your health right yeah I I think it, it goes back to kind of keeping eyes on heaven and you know if not now, then in heaven, you know, I, I, that comes up for me often as, um, in, in a obviously less intense way, but as things might not be realized or fixed perfectly or go the way I plan or I, um, might not get the credit I think I deserve, whether mm-hmm. it's in, in parenting or ministry mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. um, the Lord knows, the Lord sees and if not here, then in heaven. Right. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the word why, and I was blessed enough to be able to listen to you give a talk to our women's group. And a, a beautiful part of your message was about the word why. Will you repeat some of that here for our listeners? I will. I feel it was actually, I became sort of convicted about this in the labor and delivery room. And a baby who was full term died. Um, and I felt the question why rising up within me, the baby looked perfect. You know, you have a room full of people who are grieving and it just doesn't make any sense. No sense by any measurable means. And so I felt myself interiorly coming to God with my own why. You know, and, and not in a humble way, mm-hmm. in a explain this to me mm-hmm. kind of way. Mm-hmm. And it was in that moment, I'm looking at the little baby and I see the perfect, the perfection of mm-hmm. the fingernails. Mm-hmm. Really, it really does come down to the fingernails and the mm-hmm. hands. And, and I hear this inaudible voice saying, could you make even a fingernail? Like even with detailed instructions. And I kind of could, could you feel Heidi myself make a finger. Could you Heidi and like swallowing kind of hard, you know, like, no, I mean, I took organic chemistry twice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can only imagine. And so it was sort of that the beginning of kind of like God was speaking to Job, you know, mm-hmm. they're going, where were you, mm-hmm. you know, Heidi, can you make even a fingernail? I've knit this baby, this perfect child. Mm-hmm. And yes, it is not living to here and now for a life on earth, but he knitted that baby in his mother's womb and for God's own purposes. And so I felt, and ever since then, I've felt like why is not a question that belongs to us. Mm-hmm. And even if somebody could give you an answer, it would not satisfy. Mm. Is there any reason 
in the world that would satisfy you as to why your baby died? Mm. No. I count the souls, count it's it's that, you know. Yeah. I'm sorry, you know, that's insufficient. And so I read somewhere it's actually in, in uh, a book about the mystic Luisa Picaretta and said the answer to why is written in heaven and we will read it when we get there. Hmm. We spend so much energy and it's natural, you know, we think, I mean, it doesn't make sense. It's unjust. It's God, if you're good, you know, explain this to me. This isn't good. There's, mm-hmm. there's nothing good about this. And so, and actually in that book, talking about things that reconvince you, it talks about how the question why I was born in hell hmm. and, a de- and a demon was the first one to utter it Goodness. in that mystic book. And that, that to me was, was in much stronger language, but the same thing right. that had been revealed to me in yeah. that labor and delivery room. I, I feel that. Yeah. And sickness and suffering and scourges and, and we ask why, why, why? And so, um, you know, in the end, in this book, it says it's egoism, continuously nourishing love of self. You know, it is, there's a certain pride mm-hmm. that I should be spared. Mm-hmm. And so anytime... And not I, knowing offends our pride, don't you think? I mean, just... Oh, for sure. Yeah. Our self-love demands mm-hmm. to be, ex, ex, demands an explanation. Mm-hmm. And not knowing is a really hard thing Our to accept. Our self-love demands an explanation. It's really good. Yes. Yeah. So if if we can take that impossible question, it's a, I feel like it's a natural question. In this book, it says it's a question straight from hell. But it it's an unproductive and unfruitful and infuriating question that will never bear fruit. Mm-hmm. It will never bear fruit. And I feel like... If we at least use our common sense with the approach, the pain is through the roof. But if we can use the pain and the energy of our pain, not to search for answers to why, but to pursue answers to what what now, what's next? What, how am I going to move forward? Yes. Yeah. With the pain, not to escape the pain, but with the love, which is... All that that pain and grief is, it's just love in a different form. Mm-hmm. Uh, what next? That's great. Um, so I think what I hear you saying, Heidi, <laughs> is that, um, you know, these things aren't our ultimate hope. It's God, you know, the, this pain free, this being without struggle, this um, healed body, whatever this this healthy baby, whatever it is, that's not our ultimate hope. The Lord is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would like to wrap up our conversation. Not that this needs to be quick because I think it's pretty in depth, but um, for the person that is in this, that is in despair, that is feeling those feelings. um, What, are some practical things to do. I want to talk about that, but then I also want to talk about um, for the person sitting with that person, mm-hmm. what are some practical things to do or not do? Okay. Um, and then I, so I'm going to let you start with whichever person you want to start with. If you want to talk about first the person accompanying, accompanying and then second the person in pain or vice versa. I don't care. I think I'll start with the person in pain. Okay. Um, I think... If, if you have capacity to read, which when we're in pain, often, and I know for myself, that's one Good of the point. first things to go. Sure. You don't have the, you can't even process because your mind is too busy or you're in too much pain or you just can't even string the thoughts that are already there, let alone ingest new information. But much has been said about the presence of and activity of God in all things. And so as a person in despair who's hurting, would start looking for it. And in in every circumstance, in every person, in your own interior life, what what are you hearing that is hopeful? Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is to start paying attention. Because mm-hmm. if you are a person of faith, at the end of the day, we believe God is at work. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, 
And if you're hurting, the Psalms tell us he is near to the brokenhearted. Mm -hmm. So he's close and Mm -hmm. he's working. Mm -hmm. So start paying attention. Again, leaning into the parts of his character that we know for sure. Just kind of going back to those fundamental truths. Yeah. Yes. So as a person is hurting, and for me, nature is huge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Feeling the feeling the breeze. Mm-hmm. If you can get, I'm a huge like windshield person. <laughs> like I love being on the road. Mm-hmm. I feel so free mm-hmm. and observing uh, the beauty, you know, and the order of days, the order of creation mm-hmm. and the seasons, mm-hmm. and seeing God's hand in all of it. And there's an element of remembering. You know, that, yeah. that, that feels like a, we're kind of remembering things we already know. Yeah. You know, Back to the basics. To yeah. And how, whatever place you are in your life, looking back, how many things have you overcome up till now that you thought were impossible? Mm-hmm. How has God already worked? How much about your life at this very moment in time could you have guessed would exist 5, 10, 20 years ago? I'm continually amazed at that. Mm. Uh, all of these things that I didn't put in place for myself. And that God who loves you is still at work. Right. So being open Mm -hmm. and, and, and asking, asking God to show you, I don't think he can resist that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Okay. So now for the person sitting with the person in pain, things to do, things to not do. Yeah. So things to do, Um, sit with, a company, be on the person who's hurting's timeline. Um, I feel like the work of a chaplain, at least in my case, is getting comfortable being uncomfortable. <laughs> we don't have the solutions. And, and in particular cases where someone dies and it's uh, you are a friend of the person who's grieving, especially as people of faith, we want to rush in with the balm of God's plan. <laughs> You know, it was all part of God's plan. That is not comforting yeah. when you're hurting. Mm-hmm. Oh, that God has has laid this out and he's been, you know, I feel like, oh, that's like, and I'm a, I'm a very faithful person <laughs> and I love God and may I always love him more. But please don't comfort me with his plan if I am in a place of grief. One of my very best friends who tragically lost her two-year-old put it very well when she said, you are pitting me against the Lord and I need him so bad right now. That is very well said. Mm-hmm. And I listened to mm-hmm. her podcast and yes. she affirmed everything that I believe oh, about wonderful. this. Episode six, grief, Stephanie. Yes. Yes. She she spoke beautifully and I really <clears throat> appreciated her vulnerability mm-hmm. um, because I know the pain is as. Yeah. Okay. So know God's plan. Yeah. I mean, not K-N-O-W. N-O, capital N, capital O. Right. Don't do, <laughs> please do not comfort with God's plan mm-hmm. or God needed the, so-and-so more than you did. Mm-hmm. We, we, don't, we don't know the mind of God. We, we, can, we just don't. And so to be okay with not knowing, mm-hmm. to be okay with not fixing, mm-hmm. and to say, you know, this, this really sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is really hard. Mm-hmm. And I'm here and I'm going to be here. Yes. And... Just things that we can say with confidence. Yes. One, another one of my best friends had cancer and um, she, I don't remember the circumstance either. She missed something that was special to her son or something. She couldn't go mm-hmm. to a game or, or something. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the specifics, but something was sad. And um, her one of her best friends just grabbed her hand and said, I hate this for you. Yes. I just hate it. And there was something about this kind of shared anger yep. that divided hers, you know, mm. um, this per- other person's angry for me. That was, w- that was welcomed by her. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. gives permission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, th- you know, this is so hard and yeah, I, I hate this for you is, is on my list too. Um, those things that we can say truthfully mm-hmm. and it aren't aren't dependent upon something yeah. that we want to believe because we're often trying to comfort ourselves sure. in comforting another. Well, and trying to be wise. And isn't that kind of self-serving or something? It's like yeah. we want to say something wise. You don't have to say anything wise. No, and you don't have to say anything. And that's a great, like the story of Job. Okay, so he lost everything, right? And his four friends came <laughs> and 
said they sat with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights and no one spoke a word to him Mm. for they saw that his suffering was very great. Mm. They came and they sat and they said nothing. And I think it's good to reflect for ourselves when the last time you were suffering and someone comforted you, do you remember what they said or do you just remember them being there? Right. Quite often our words are forgotten. Yeah. Don't overestimate their value. Right. And don't underestimate the value of your presence. Mm, that's really good. I was, um, my husband and I did some medical mission work in Honduras. He did the, the, the medical <laughs> mission work. <laughs> that would be a disaster. I was, I was there and um, there was um, a children's home across the street. Um, and so the kids and I would go over and, and play with um the orphans over there. And, and it, anyways, it ended up being a fruitful time serving the hospital. And there was this one situation where Seth got, got called in um, for an emergency and um, someone had committed suicide mm-hmm. in the village. It was a young man. And his father, you know, all the doctor, everyone was there. Yeah. And so um, the ho- hospital was really empty because everyone was attending this tragedy. Um. But I happened to be up at the hospital and the father was sitting on the bench outside the room. And it felt just all caps wrong to ignore his grief. Right. Um, But I didn't know what to do either. Right. And without a shared language, I mean, I, I do know Spanish, but it's. It's it's only um, used in situations where it's appropriate to be funny, you know, where I can kind of charade or like yeah. use the wrong word. Yeah, uh, it would not be appropriate to use Spanish in this instance. And so the only thing I had was my nearness. It was the only thing I had. And 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 by the way, if this would have been in the U.S. of A., I would have butchered this experience. I mean, the Lord just you know took things away from me that I would have you know messed it up with. Yes. And so all I could do was sit next to him. And so I just went and sat next to him. And eventually, as I kind of felt um, a reception, yes. um, someone who was receptive to yes. me being near, I just, I placed my hand on top of his hand. He was, he was a little heavy and he was sitting on a, a bench and he had both of his hands planted on either side of him and his head was drooped. And I just placed my hand on top of one of his hands and he held my hand back. Right. We're saying nothing. Right. And he just cried and he, that's when he let the tears flow was just the, the grasping of this hand. And it was a fascinating experience to me because I offered nothing except my willingness to know that I, for, that I noticed I'm just, I'm just here and I'm just noticing and, and this is all I've got. And when I think about you and your talents, Heidi, you know, that somebody, um, that I can reach out to at an odd hour. <laughs> you know, um, I just can't help but celebrate um, with you, with the Lord, with the people you accompany, that he just has you so perfectly placed. So, oh, Well, thank you. It's my, pres- my pleasure and privilege, and you did the perfect thing, and it was enough. And often, w- words do get in the way. And so I, that was the perfect ministry at that moment. And I, you know, Mother Angelica says the only thing worse than suffering is suffering alone. Mm. And we can mm. always help that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Amen. Um, any parting thoughts um, before we sign off? Anything you didn't get in that's important? I do. I, it's, I think the only thing worse than dying alone is living alone. <laughs> and I had a patient in the nursing home who's young by nursing home standards, maybe, you know, 60s, maybe, you know, who's had, I think, a long history of depression and I'm sure lots of family dynamics. But, you know, she said she that her kids don't want to come and see her because they want to remember her like she was. Ooh. And if if I have a can have a platform to say anything mm-hmm. here, it's to encourage you never to speak those words mm-hmm. about anyone that you know, mm-hmm. because if someone is in a situation that is not like they once were, they don't have any choice in the matter very likely. And they have to continue living the human experience only without those that they love. And I think, I, I think we will be held accountable for that one day. Mm, It's important. 
Wow. So it's, it's kind of a deviation, but kind of not. We think about death and how, you know, end of life and that's poignant, but living alone is poignant too. Mm -hmm. And, and we need to take care of the living. Mm. Thank you, Heidi, for that. It's really, really important. Um, you, uh, so compassionately have reminded us that, you know, our joy isn't about, um, this idealized life (laughs) or this pain-free living or perfect healing or even, um, you know, a a clear diagnosis. That's, that's not what this is about. Um, but the real truth all, you know, capital T truth is that one day Jesus won't be dimly known, but we will be face to face. Amen. That's what we we rest it all on. I love you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. And now a word from our sponsors, Miles of Grace Realty. Are you buying a home, selling your home, or investing in real estate? Jenny Murphy with Miles of Grace Realty does more than get the job done for a great price. With her experience, attention to detail, and genuine passion for helping others, you will see that Miles of Grace Realty really does go the extra mile. Here's a review from a pleased client. We cannot say enough good things about Jenny Murphy at Miles of Grace. She was literally an answer to our prayers. She led us through the complicated maze that is real estate and even prayed with us along the way. She has been such a blessing to our family and we would recommend her services to anyone. That's Miles of Grace Realty, 979-229-5541, www.milesofgracerealty.com. And safe to save. Did you know that you are 23 times more likely to crash when you text, voice text, or Snapchat as you drive, which is equivalent to having four beers? Help make a difference by reversing this trend and download Safe to Save. Safe to Save is an app that encourages safe driving by rewarding points for every minute you drive without touching your phone. Simply download the free app and open it before you get behind the wheel to start earning points. The points you earn can then be used to receive free food and special offers at some of your favorite restaurants and businesses, from Chick-fil-A to your local spa to a romantic date night spot. Set up friendly competitions between friends, family members, coworkers, and staff. Give ideas about which businesses you would like to see added. Follow Safe to Save on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for updates and download the app today. Start using Safe to Save now wherever you live to create safer communities. My best friend and I certainly don't have all the answers. But that's never stopped us when it comes to matters of the heart from trying to comprehend, evaluate, analyze, apply, and synthesize. Wait, is that Bloom's taxonomy? I knew we were onto something. This is me, my best friend Kristen, and your questions. Hey, hey, babe. So this episode is heavy and hard and yet holy because we're talking um, about suffering. And I feel like everyone can really tap into a time of desolation. Mm -hmm. Um, Your story has been important in shaping my um, understanding of suffering. Um, I want to get right to the question and then we can kind of talk about... Because I think I think that this question will set us up nicely. Okay. Um, a listener writes in. She says, "How do you keep eternal perspective?" And then this is in all caps, so she means it. In the midst of suffering. So how do you keep eternal perspective in the midst of suffering? Um, when I think of your situation, I feel like you have very gracefully as the years have gone by kind of taken this airplane view Mm. where it's like you were able to get up over it and you were able to look down on it with kind of a different set of eyes as maybe even like a different part of your brain or heart or something and then really um, acutely recognize okay this is where I'm stuck Mm -hmm. okay this is where the backups happening And then, so if I just cleared this out right here, then this could flow and then that could flow. And now everything's kind of working again. Like you were really good at getting up and above. 
really nice. Um, it's so hard for me to like analyze when when I was in the middle of it. By the way, I don't think we've said what it is. Oh, yeah. I assume everyone knows you from season one, but um, your mom passed away far too young, yes. and you um, took a year um, to usher her to heaven. Yes. Um, so we had a year from diagnosis to death, and so it was just a very, very intense time. And so it's hard for me to even uh, remember the details of it without getting into it because it was just so all-consuming and truthfully, like, weird and unique. And mm -hmm. um, But I don't know how you don't have an eternal perspective in the middle of it because, mm -hmm. it's, to me, it's the only perspective you can possibly have mm -hmm. because it's just... I just remember thinking and saying, this is just so bad like if I would have mm. written it down in that moment of my life that was the worst thing that I thought could have happened to me it was just unimaginable and then I was living it day to day mm -hmm. and so and in such a hands-on way in such an intimate way right. I mean you were her primary caregiver right yeah and just being like in the middle of just something um this is the thing that came to my mind right now is at one point she wasn't very mobile and I was trying to help her up and she couldn't help me enough and we both just fell mm -hmm. um, and it was just I can't explain it I mean just embarrassing and mm -hmm. awkward and mm -hmm. terrible for both of us and mm -hmm. so painful mm -hmm. um, and so you can't you can't make sense of that moment there's nothing to make sense of and so you have to get in that airplane and look bigger picture and just keep focusing on I say you this is what I did it's not for everybody obviously um but to look at the I can't I would always go back to or I don't know that I did it in that moment but when I had the brain space to think about outside of that moment it was this is a blink this is a blink mm -hmm. there's such a bigger picture and so I don't have to make sense of this blink if I understand that there's a bigger picture because I can't possibly mm -hmm. um we one of the things that came up in the interview for this episode um, was that it's actually a time that you can look back on and in a strange way miss mm -hmm. um, because of the intimacy, obviously, between you and your mom, but between you and the Lord. I remember you saying that you felt like there was just, you know, he was just so near. Yeah. There was this, I think in the interview, I referred to it as a thin the, veil. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And But even like, it's like the volume had been turned up. Right. You know, it was just this very intense. Well, and so much, when you say volume up, it's also volume down of all the other noise in mm. the world, right? Yes, There's something right, about yes. like a filter. Right. And that might be part of my personality of like always being too busy and doing too much or whatever. But it was like there is no one questioning mm -hmm. what I should be doing with my day. Right. Um, right. It's almost like when you have a newborn, except for mm -hmm. there's no joy in it. Um, yeah. Of like, I'm just, this is, this person is 100% dependent on me. This emotional experience is 100% consuming. This is what I'm doing today, all day long. And so part of that was reading our Bible together every morning. Um, and, you know, things like that, that just, or you're just in constant state of, prayer because um you have to be yeah there's an odd piece in knowing exactly what you're called yeah, to do exactly um you know you mentioned in last season episode six of grief that um a lot of peace came when you kind of quit asking why when you when you kind of quit begging you know for this explanation because w what explanation right. would be good enough anyway I think Heidi mentioned in the interview but um but when you you know, thought of it as this was always the plan. And that reminds me of um, when you when you look at it in these really spiritual terms, mm -hmm. Satan can't create anything new. He can only destroy goodness. And so when I when I think about that and the times that I've been on the floor of my closet, when I feel um, like I don't have anything to offer, there's nothing I'm going to say that's mm -hmm. going to make this better. There's nothing that I'm going to do. And I get to choose. I get to choose if I'm going to allow God to make things, make something new. Right. Or if I'm going to let Satan pervert goodness. I think of how well you allowed God to come alongside you. Not only during that year, but because grief isn't over then, you know, the suffering right. continues um, with the loss. But you have just let God come alongside you and... Um, 
yes, this earthly death happened, this personal hell happened, but he's there with us, descending with us into all of our personal hells. And it's, as you mentioned, just a snapshot of time compared to eternity. And I think that's where, like, the blessing, which is even uncomfortable to say out loud, but the blessing of it arises is to have had such a deep um, experience that required me to lean on my faith. Like in that moment, I had no other choice I felt like. And so it was like, I got to practice something out that then I've been able to carry in other areas of my life that weren't so heavy that I might not have chosen it. You know what I mean? Like I was forced to choose it and feel the comfort to feel, um, to feel him next to me and so it made that easier to choose in other areas of my life that I might not have chosen it because I wasn't so broken right. and so that's where the blessing of it comes for me is that I've been able to hand over other things that were not so heavy um, after living through yeah. that yeah that's good okay I love you beefy you too Lubella's my friend from junior high. She won every science fair there ever was. We lost touch for a while until Facebook intervened. And now that we're reunited, it is all my pleasure to log on and see Lubell win the internet day after day. Tanya Mayfield was scheduled to move into Suites of Hope in 10 days on Monday, November 6th. She and I met via phone almost eight months ago after she inquired about housing in Houston. Tanya had an advanced case of breast cancer and was waiting for approval to participate in a clinical trial at MD Anderson. In the meantime, she was getting treatment in her hometown of Atlanta. When we talked for the first time, she was thinking ahead and desperately needed help finding a place to stay. Tanya was simply a joy. She loved her life, her family, her faith, and knew without any doubt she was going to conquer this disease. At the beginning of the spring, and I remember this because she told me how excited she was to see the legendary Texas blue bonnets, Tanya called and said she was accepted into the trial and it would begin at the beginning of November. Could she possibly move in on the 6th? Absolutely, I told her. We emailed in August to touch base about her health, and I said I would see her on November 6th. Two weeks ago, I emailed Tanya to set up a time for her move-in. I surprisingly did not get a response. She was always so prompt and responsible. A week later, I called and left a message on her home phone. Nothing. This afternoon, I got a call on my cell phone from Tanya's sister. Is this Lubell? Yes, I said, wondering if I should have not answered because I did not recognize the number. My name is Alyssa, Tanya Mayfield's sister. Oh, hello. I am so sorry to have to tell you, my sister died on September 14th. I had forgotten she made reservations to stay with you. Crushed, I told Alyssa how sorry I was to hear about her loss, how even more sorry that I would never meet Tanya in person, and what a gentle, fighting soul she was. I'm sorry I kept emailing and calling her. That's probably why you contacted me. Emails and calls, Alyssa asked? Yes, she was supposed to move in on November 6th, and I left messages. I would have never bothered you if I had known. Lubell, Alyssa said. I never got those messages. I found a letter in my sister's belongings to Suites of Hopes with your phone number. She would like to pay for a year's stay for another patient. $25 a month, yes? I have a check to Suites of Hope for $300. I told her, That is the most selfish gesture I've ever seen. Alyssa said, the check had a note. This is my way to say Tanya Mayfield was here at Suites of Hope. In the midst of the long nights, early mornings, life stresses and joys, baseball fun and cheers, and quiet moments of why, I really needed this. A reminder, when I scheduled my meeting with Tanya, we had no clue or maybe she did, that the continuation of our friendship would be much later in this life. That a life I was expected to be a part of, I would never see in person. That to live is the rarest thing in the world. Most people just exist, and that is all. 
Tanya Mayfield was here will most certainly be on a wall at Sweets. But today it will be on my newsfeed, in your world for even a moment, and in my world forever. She just didn't exist. She, even for the shortest amount of time, truly lived. From the book of Hebrews, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. I teach at the women's prison in my neighborhood where week after week I learn that they are just like me and I am just like them. I don't expect anyone to sympathize or feel bad for me regarding how this place makes me suffer. This is justice, right? So don't feel bad for me. But can you visit me or write to me? Can you stay with me? Could you never leave? Can you tell me that you too believe in a God that can forgive anything? One more thing. Could you pray for me? Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. Dear God, our hearts ache, and our bodies hurt, and our souls cry out for heaven. Help us to feel you near in our times of deep distress. Your hands, your help, your heart. You are our true comforter and healer. Help us to open our eyes and notice the people you have brought alongside us to comfort and encourage, to help and advise. Father of mercies, you are close to the brokenhearted. You bind our wounds and you never, ever forsake us. Thank you, God. Take our lives and use us as vessels of comfort for those who are also suffering with the comfort and the solace that we have received from you. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And for this episode, a special thank you to Heidi Dixon, Jenny Murphy Realty, Safe to Save, Kristen Kelly, Lubel Cruz Gaelic, Priscilla Aguilar, and Pamela Anthony Cutright. Email us your questions at centersaintsister at gmail.com. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter at Allison M. Sully and Facebook at Allison M. Sullivan. And be sure to catch the mini episode for extras. And for this episode, a special thank you to Chan Redfield for music, Rachel Lovett, Kristen Kelly, Miles of Grace Realty, Empower Fitness, Lubel Cruz Gaelic, Sandra Perez, and Pamela Anthony Cutright. Email us your questions at centersaintsister at gmail.com. Keep in touch on Facebook at Allison M. Sullivan and on Instagram and Twitter at Allison M. Sully. And be sure to catch the mini episode for extras.